Welcome to the Good to Growth podcast on Nonprofit Hub Radio. I'm your host, Katie Apple. I'm the executive director of Do More Good and Nonprofit Hub. One of my favorite job duties is hosting this podcast. Each week, I get to talk to nonprofit leaders, influencers, and innovators who are changing the sector. You see, we know that you're already doing good. We've designed this podcast to help nonprofits who are doing good to find new ways and new resources to grow. So tune in weekly, spread the news, and share the resources we share with you. We look forward to helping you move from good to growth. We'd like to thank today's sponsor of the Good to Growth podcast, Dipjar. Dipjar is changing the game of fundraising with their cashless donation jar and an integrated payment platform that enables joyful, engaging, and frictionless giving. With Dipjar, organizations of any size can collect donations anywhere and create more giving moments. Learn more about Dipjar at dipjar.com and follow them on social media at Dipjar. You may feel like there is no shortage of data and opinions and research on fundraising. And if you feel that way, you're not alone. I feel that way too. Today, I am talking to Tim Sarantonio, though, from Neon One. And I tell you what, guys, I read these reports all the time. Um, I go through the Giving USA report with a fine tooth comb, and then I read every iteration that everybody else puts out on it. It can get really boring. So when Tim came to us and said, hey, we did a donor report, but it's a little bit different, and I think you may want to feature it, I was intrigued. So not only is this a well-designed report, but the data inside um, is told in a way that is human. This is not a a report produced by a robot. This is not um, a conglomeration of stats that don't mean anything. This is an easy to read guide to everything from the days of the week that donors are most likely to give to the lingo we should all be staying away from. I found this report completely intriguing. I also find Tim completely intriguing. Talk about a funny, charismatic individual doing amazing things for the nonprofit sector. I think you're going to love this one. Let's get started. Tim, tell us how you got into this role, how you came to work with nonprofits. Well, thank you for having me, by the way. Um, I have been working with nonprofits. I was actually reflecting on this last night, even, and realized, wow, it's been like 20 years almost where I've been helping organizations. I just turned 40 and... When I uh, was a young lad, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And then I realized I didn't want to do that when I went to college. And so I thought then, okay, I like learning. I like kind of looking at things. So let's be an academic. And so I did everything that you're supposed to do to be an academic. I took the right tests. I went and got two master's degrees 
And then I promptly was rejected from every single program that I applied to. And my father flew out to Chicago where I was living and said, you got to get a job, man. And this is 2008. So I got a job at a nonprofit because I said, well, I still want to help people. And, and, and I originally wanted to be a labor historian. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wild card, right? Like, yeah, yeah. that's the first time I've actually heard somebody <laughs> list that as like an aspiration. That's amazing, though. Mm-hmm. I loved learning and listening to people's uh, origin stories of the way that they worked. And so the very first nonprofit that I worked for was a day labor center for, uh, uh, you know, out of the south side of Chicago. And I was their grant writer. It was 2008. All the grants got cut. So I immediately pivoted the the, oh, no. the du jour word of, of the pandemic, right? You were pivoting before pivoting was popular. I know. <laughs> um, so I, I realized um, I need to uh, get money if I wanted to keep my job because we had, uh, I think, $89,000, about $90,000 for two staff members and all of our programming. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, I, I know it's a podcast, but I see your face. And yeah. so, <laughs> and so uh, I just didn't know what I was doing. Let's be honest. Like, like a lot of people who enter the industry, they don't have a formal marketing background. They don't have a formal fundraising background. And so they're kind of making it up as they go along. And so that's what I did. And, and I said, well, I think, you know, I've seen the shining, right? Like, like people go to galas, right? And so it's parties, like fundraising's parties, I can't fundraising's believe, events. I can't believe you go to the shining when you think of galas. <laughs> yeah, well, I know. Well, he's, he's smiling at the end of the movie, right? Like it's a happy <laughs> ending. Go. No. Yeah. Um, so, so, <laughs> so, um, so that's that's kind of what I thought though was it was events and and the reality over 20 years is it's not mm-hmm. uh, it's not that it's not events it's it's much deeper it's about people and and that's kind of been my learning and o- over the years and so I've been with Neon One for 10 years and I originally was hired as a salesperson And I was like the seventh employee. And now we have like 200 people. And now I'm director of corporate brand. And really all that means is who we are and why do we matter? Oh, is that all? That's it. (laughs) That's it. That's a big role. It's a big role. But like the simplicity, I think, matters when it comes to storytelling and when it comes to uh, any type of organization. And, and I was even reflecting, I saw a post yesterday on LinkedIn where somebody was saying fundraising and, uh, y- you know, people who are fundraisers need to do marketing and they need to raise money. And it's like, th- why do we have to put ourselves in, in very different boxes, right? Like I was in sales. It is a completely different skill set than marketing. 
And it's not that marketing and sales are are separate. It's that you have to have a different focus. And I think mm-hmm. that nonprofits, in turn, especially if they're told you need to be more like sales, right? It's, it's not. It's a different skill set when you're trying to raise money. So anyway, that's that's my origin story. There's a lot more to unpack there, but that's that's kind of the basics. Oh, there there, there is a lot to unpack there. Yeah. I wanna I wanna so I wonder if we saw the same post because Julia Campbell had a post floating around. About, that's that's the one she was responding to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, part of me thinks, because for perspective, you know, most of our audience are the small to mid-sized organizations. We're, yeah. we're like the one that you started with. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a capacity issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that, you know, these departments have to be separate or they have to overlap. It's that we have three people wearing 10 hats and, you know, we ask a lot of these individuals. And, what you said about like faking it until you make it, you know, you don't know what you're doing day after day. I mean, you're not alone. I think that's everybody who starts out in the sector. Um, the chief everything officer. Yes. Yeah. I, <laughs> so I had a little bit of downtime yesterday. Um, uh, while my kids were watching TV, my wife is an engineer. Um, so she has a real job. And so uh, she is uh, in Atlanta right now. I live in upstate New York. And so while she was getting ready, I'm sitting there, I'm by myself. And for some reason, I get on TikTok. And the first thing that's queued up to me is, what's the biggest thing holding fundraisers back? Like somebody asked a question. And I think a lot of people would typically answer, uh, you know, I can't find donors or, or uh, you know, my board isn't helping me. And I, I kind of went true self a little bit. And I said, it's fear, oh, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's fear. And it's, it, and, and it's fear of things like getting fired, of, uh, of not knowing what you're doing. I mean, everything that I experienced at all the different jobs that I had and the, 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 the benefit that I had is, you know, if we show my my photo, for instance, during the bio and the promotion, I'm a white man. And so I had and kept failing up. <laughs> Let's be honest. I, I, I started a job. I got laid off because the, the organization was just an S show. Then I went to an organization that I dearly love and still love today, and I got fired because I didn't raise them enough money. They basically said, we open a new program, and we can keep you, or we can keep the other program. And I said, well, I, <laughs> I'm not very good at my job, so <laughs> there we go. And then I got hired at a Catholic school, and it was for a database administrator. And I like BS my way through like three interviews to be a razor's edge administrator. And the line that I actually believed and still believe was they're like, well, why should we work with you? And I said, look, all data is, is a technological representation of human relationships. Oh, but that's brilliant. Well, thank you. They thought it, 
they thought it as well. And I was actually That's quite good. Worthy. Yeah. Well, when I got $5,000 worth of razor's edge training, I was great. <laughs> I turned into a powerhouse. And then I realized that I got bored of asking rich people for money because all it was, was I was a guy in his mid twenties in Chicago. And all I was doing was moving around copy mm-hmm. and there's nothing bad about that. And there's a lot of like grind that you have to do when it comes to that merging of marketing and fundraising. But for me, it wasn't appealing anymore. So I started looking around and then there was this company called Z2 Systems, makers of Neon CRM. Um, And that name doesn't even exist legally anymore because we kind of got some money and, 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 you know, bought a few other companies and now we're neon one. But from there, it was just let's evolve the idea of what a database can even mean. And, and what I've learned over my time is what I like to call connected fundraising Mm -hmm. and connected fundraising is when fundraisers and donors overcome that kind of alienation that they have with each other and find meaning together and build that lifelong community. That's, that's what I do every day. That's my obsession. Amen. Amen. <laughs> one of our one of our top sessions at uh and I'm trying to think what year it was. I think it was 2021 because it was a virtual one. Yeah. But it was one of our top cause camp sessions and it was Tammy Charles talking about how <laughs> you know, we as fundraisers were pursuing raising support for this very noble cause. But we ignore the magic of trying to help our corporate partners and our donors reach their magic cause, which most of the time we're aiming for the same goal. Yeah. We want to prevent homelessness. We want to feed people. It's just how we come at it through relationships rather than, you know, just keeping it about the money all the time. Rule number one at Connected Fundraising is keep your eye on the person, not the money. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, so I know that one of the things we want to talk about was Neon One's donor report. Yes, instance. absolutely. And when I was writing that, because the genesis of that was during the pandemic, just like what you're talking about, there's so much brilliant education that's come out of, of this, this terrible time because people have the ability to kind of sit with themselves and reflect on their why. And for me, especially because we are obsessive about small to mid-sized nonprofits, because mm-hmm. everybody else, like, that's why I love what you folks do, because there's so much stuff. Like I went to, got look, love my Geiger, went to AFP Icon though, and every single story ends up being about like how you can be the next charity water. And it's like, that's not the reality. And so what I love about what you folks do besides focusing on that is the same thing that we're focused on and obsessed about, which is the, the small to mid-sized reality. And so when I took a look at the landscape of stuff coming out during the pandemic, 
I actually was kind of scared about the digital items that were coming out because there was a lot of companies that were putting out reports and I'm I know it's a podcast so I'm using the the the, the dreaded air quotes folks reports that were basically like we've seen 77% year over year growth in online fundraising I'm like if you start from zero of <laughs> course you're going to see that number so I wanted to address what's the reality because Neon One has so much data. We actually, just in 2021 alone, had $2.2 billion to draw from in analysis. Right before I, I fired up the podcast uh, uh, recording here, I was plugging in some numbers. I'm doing a presentation for Long Beach, California tomorrow. Oh, no. And I said, give me, give me all the zip codes. Actually, I'm in upstate New York. I don't know. Give me all your zip codes that you count as Long Beach. I'm able to actually fire up probably 67 different zip codes that I plugged into a little interface that our development team made for us. And I can spit out donor behavior happening in that region. And so what I wanted to do with the donor report was say, What's happening since 2020, March 2020 to now? And I attended, and really the big origin story there was I was attending the Giving Institute, um, which puts out Giving USA, if folks mm-hmm. have heard about that report. The, the, the behind the scenes story there was that it's really made up of a lot of consultants and a few tech companies. Most of it's very large consulting firms that actually makes up the giving Institute membership base. So, so we're a bit of an outlier actually by serving the small folks. And so I'm always obsessed with hearing, okay, what's happening here that can translate. Sure. Sure. Somebody stood up, Big wig consultant, probably serving, you know, uh, American Cancer Society, that that type of stuff, and said, "Wow, there's so much like reports out there that have come out. This is last July. There's so many reports that have come out. I, I don't know if I'll have time to read all of them." And I said, "Why should you? Why not make one?" Yeah. One report to rule them all. And that's what we wrote. That's what we wrote with uh, donors understanding the future of individual giving over 50 different resources. I read um, like hundreds of blogs, every single report that that companies, even if they're a competitor, technically Blackboard, Bloomerang, you know, Donor Perfect, Fundraise, uh, Donor Drive, all of them. I read it and said, if it's good, I'm going to put it in this report. Hi, this is Kevin Burgess, the editor of the Good to Growth podcast. At countless moments in life, we're moved to express generosity and gratitude, donating to a charity, supporting a school, or giving to a local cultural institution. These moments make up the fabric of the everyday. And there are opportunities to express our investment in the people, causes, and norms that we value. At Dipjar, they're committed to improving the world of fundraising. They work hard to ensure the success of their customers, 
the thousands of nonprofits dedicated to causes that serve our community. They understand how important fundraising is for your organization, and they celebrate your success as their own. That's why they help you find new, creative ways to reach your donors in person and virtually. Create more giving moments with Dipjar today. Visit dipjar.com to get started. Now let's get back to Katie with the rest of her conversation with Tim Serantonio. Okay, so kudos on one report to rule them all. I think I think you just titled our podcast episode. <laughs> but I mean, okay, so the data in this report is fantastic. The, the learnings that you can get from it are amazing. I have to praise the fact, and now I know I'm talking to the author. I'll, I'll lay it on a little thicker. <laughs> I love how this report read. It reads like a, a human report. I didn't glaze over. I didn't Thank fall you. asleep. Thank you. My cat didn't distract me while I was reading it. I mean, it's a it's a really well done report, and very um, it's written for humans. And I love, I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and, and it's funny because if we go back to the, the original part of this, I wrote it like how I would write an academic report, which maybe that's either good or bad for academia that I didn't go into it. Um, I just in many ways wrote for like what I would have wanted when I was first starting out. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I think it comes down to people are changing the ways that they learn. Like this podcast is a great example. Um, And I'm so happy that we're deepening our relationship, by the way, (laughs) uh, formally. Um, and, And this is one of the ways that people are changing the way that they learn. And even with the report, my so we have a, f- a favorite phrase. Our our uh, uh, head of demand generation over here, Katie, has a phrase oh, that I love. Great name, <laughs> great name. I know that. Um, but and and actually, uh, uh, with an A last name, um, and so, yeah. So she has a phrase: "Content may be king." distribution is a kingmaker. Oh, yeah. 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 I love that. I love that. We say frequency wins. Like we want to, you know, it's great to have good content. If it's not showing up anywhere, no one Mm -hmm. knows. So with us, what we actually did was break the report out into smaller chunks and different Mm -hmm. elements. So each chapter ends with a guest insight, for instance. So we had uh, Sabrina Walker Hernandez reflecting on black philanthropy. We had um, Rachel D'Souza Siebert reflecting on the idea of community-centric fundraising. We had Woodrow and Asha from Giving Tuesday reflect on like the nonprofit sector's afraid of feelings, things like that. Mm-hmm. And And then... My team is like, well, okay, what do we do with it? And I said, take each guest insight. That's a blog post. Take each idea of the chapter. Because each chapter is who, what, when, where, why, how. Each month for the past six months, we've had a webinar that focuses on that. So so like just this week, uh, we're talking in May, folks, right now. We're going to have a big duck 
Farah Farah from Big Duck, she's going to focus on where are our donors now? Fresh in, off of Coscam. Fresh <laughs> off of Coscam, I saw her presentation, at least the the promotion of it, and so she's fantastic. She actually was not in the report, but I was like, she's the perfect person to zero in on the concept of where are our donors. Now, in the report, it's actually very heavily focused on geography, mm-hmm. but. There was a section where we talk about, well, where isn't just geography? It's also the state of mind of the donor of how they're digesting the information. So let's talk about channels. Yeah. Let's let's talk about digital versus offline. I have a stack over here on my desk of like, it's it's probably six inches thick of direct mail that I'm going to reflect on later in the year. Um, it's direct mail isn't dead, folks. Like, sorry. And low competition and, in the mailbox. A lot of it. A lot of it. Uh-huh. And so uh, with with Farah, she's going to reflect on that. And so we take each thing and we break it up into a smaller idea. So so look, there's a lot of nerds, Katie, like you and me that are going to like look at an 87 page report. There's also a lot of people who are not going to. So we will break it up. And and that's that's, I think, what's going to happen with the best types of education coming out of, of the pandemic, in all honesty. Well, I think the sector is more interested in education than ever before. I mean, I always joke, the only the only industry that is more invested into professional development are like doctors. We, we're heavy into learning, but we're also pressed for time. So yeah. a report like this, like I'm looking at the tactical tips, that's beautiful. I, I love that. I love that at a glance, I can gain some value if I don't have two hours to actually comb through, you know, every paragraph. It's very, it's very well put together. I'm going to ask you. the question that I ask every time we feature a report. What was the the takeaway or what was something you learned that maybe you didn't see coming? That's a good one. Um there's so much in this one because I literally tried to synthesize everything about individual giving. Um, my favorite takeaway that was surprising was, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll zero in on this one. Uh, the when chapter, uh, the timing of things. Mm-hmm. And so, and one of, the, one of the fun parts about this, by the way, folks, is that we actually translated a lot of these insights into a free dashboard on the Neon One website where you do not have to enter your email address. Just go to it. Yeah, I, there's a, another company out there where every time I go to their giving index report, you have to enter your email address. And I was like, this is crappy. So like, just go to the website. And the very first thing you'll see is what time is it in your time zone? And I'll show you how many donations are happening. We online. will make sure to link to that in the podcast notes. I'll, I'll make sure you, you get that. Um, so the time chapter was fun because I had an original thesis point, Katie. I felt that originally when I asked for this data point, that people would be donors specifically, because we want to look at donor behavior. A lot of times, either donors lie to you or they forget because we heavily focus on the peak end rule here at Neon One, 
when it comes to connected fundraising, which is that you remember the high or the low and how things end. It's not the average of an experience. Mm -hmm. It's the, wow, that was really amazing. And here's what I remember about it at the end. And so for me, I was like, oh, people might feel that they want to donate after a few drinks on a Sunday watching the Grammys or, or like, you know, these consistent things, moments that happen on a Sunday, uh, like football and whatnot. So I basically, I was like, Oh, people are giving while buzzed. It's not true. So, uh, so that's a good thing for America, but like, Darn, because that that would have been that would have made things a little bit easier. More there's a bump. <laughs> there's a bump, and that's where my tactical tip comes in on that chapter. Is like keep in mind that you can newsjack things, but the top time volume wise that people gave was Thursday. And this is Central Time, but we did kind of look at all time zones and and days of the week. Thursday. At 11.30 a.m. Okay, so that did not actually surprise me. because if No, you look, not if you in retrospect, at, yeah. You look at email open rates, mm-hmm. I mean, Thursday, and I don't know what it is. Maybe we're all just tired of work by Thursday. It's Friday Eve, and we're, we're feeling ready for the weekend. But so many things spike on Thursday. Um, sales spike on Thursdays. Yes. When we, when we dove deeper... We did a blog post, um, uh, and actually, my coworker Abby Jarvis, she po- helped point this out. She's like, "Well, let's get to the why." And you're right; sales actually aligned during that period too. And then the second spike in the day is at 8 p.m., and that's also when when sales spike, yeah, too. So. Uh, Buying behavior. So this is the, the the big takeaway, though. Buying behavior and donating behavior may be correlated, but they're not the same thing. And if we start to draw a line between the two, in terms of the psychological reasons, we're actually going to be led down the wrong path, in my opinion. Now that's a whole other podcast well, episode, though. So, so. we. We preach pretty hard over here that, you know, charities always seem to have this perspective that they're competing with each other. You think if you are getting donations, the other rescue mission in town is not, or if your food pantry is getting support, the other one is not. But the reality is we are competing with Nike and Under Armour and Apple. We are competing for people's discretionary time and their discretionary money. So whether it's a dotted line, a wavy line, or you know, barely visible line, there's there is a correlation between sales and raising raising support. Oh, I, I and and I absolutely say the same thing because because again, this goes back to the peak end rule. Yeah. Um, where people are going to remember a specific experience, and what nonprofits need to do is have your message be that peak in their day. And, and, and it can be emotional. Emotions are not bad where, where it's like, I feel something here. And 
that it what was interesting is that the average donation online takes about four minutes. That's terrifying because you're going to lose a lot of people. And that's when they complete it. Takes me like four seconds. Bye now. It's done. (laughs) I know. I, I bought, uh, I bought a butterfly kit for my kids yesterday and I used the shop button and it was just like, I got a text message immediately where it was like, Hey, it's coming. It's dangerous. It's, it's very dangerous. Oh, I mean, Amazon alone. And, and what's fascinating. We actually touch on the idea of giving days, community Mm -hmm. giving days in the report too, because we, we run uh, a bunch of them and What's great about a giving day is it helps kind of merge that experience from a transaction into a cause-based motivation because there's like a shopping cart element and people and 60% of the donors are new donors to a nonprofit on a community giving day, at least in our data set. And so that means that the main reason that they're doing it isn't because they care about you. They care about a cause. And ultimately, that's actually what we need to remind ourselves. So that's our big takeaway is that your donors are not your donors. They are your cause that 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 basically you will benefit from. I love that. I love that. And that is just one of the many takeaways. Tim, tell us how our listeners can access this report. Uh, so we're, we're going to provide a handy URL down in the show notes, I imagine. Uh, but you can also just go to neonone.com and find it under our resources as well. There's a resources section on our website. So, And how can our audience, how can they connect or follow you? Are you me? Oh boy. Uh, so apologies in advance. Um, so uh, just Email me, Tim and neon1.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. That's that's actually one of my favorite channels. Uh, so literally have zero followers on TikTok. So let's not go there. Um, yeah, just Tim Serantonio. And uh, I have a weekly newsletter that I put out that focuses on nerdy stuff around CRMs and data and stuff like that. So that's nice. a good way. I love it. I love it. Tim, thank you so much for being part of the program. This has been um, this has been fun. I oh, still can't you, believe you drew off the shining as a <laughs> <laughs> as a gala metaphor, but hey, we'll take it. Here you go. Thank you. Thanks, thank Tim. you, Kitty. So my only regret about this episode was that you guys could not see all of the air quotes and hand gestures that went along with Tim's humor. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I encourage you to download the Donor Insight Report from Neon One. I will make sure we have links to that in the podcast notes. As always, if you are looking to take your fundraising, your operations, or your leadership in the nonprofit sector to the next level, check out nonprofithub.org. Also check out our new courses and our membership options. I hope to meet you inside our cause network where all the nonprofit pros gather to learn to do more good. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. 
For more tools, tips, and techniques on fundraising, marketing, and all things nonprofit, be sure to check out nonprofithub.org. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Good to Growth podcast on Nonprofit Hub Radio.